Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of Deeper Still, a podcast where we carve out space for meaningful conversation about God and life in the places he calls us. My name is Sue Ann Canfield and I have the joy of being the host of this podcast. I'm so glad you chose to join us today. Well, today on Deeper Still, I am so excited to be welcoming a friend and a leader that I've known for a long time, and I just have such a great deal of respect and admiration for as a person, but also because she's doing some incredibly important and timely work for today. Now, fair warning, it's not an easy conversation, but we're not really about having easy conversations here at Deeper Still. In fact, the whole point of Deeper Still is to challenge ourselves to expand our perspectives and see things in a new way. So we, my friends, have our work cut out for us today. My friend's name here is Angie Wesley, and she is the founder and president of ProGrace, a nonprofit whose mission is to break down barriers in the conversation around unplanned pregnancy and abortion by inviting the church into a new conversation, a third way, if you will, to talk about the pro-life and pro-choice debate that is not about political platforms. Now, I warned you, this is going to be a challenging conversation today, but one we're not going to shy away from because I believe it's more important that we get this right today more than ever. So whatever you're doing today, wherever you find yourself, saddle up, settle in, maybe grab a cup of coffee, invite a friend along and listen in as Angie and I go deeper still. Well, Angie, it is so great to have you here in the Deeper Studio, uh, my friend. Thanks so much for joining us. It's great being here, Sue Ann. Thanks. You know, I was thinking, Angie, as I was um, driving here today, I dropped my husband Eric off at the airport early and was driving here today and was just kind of thinking back over how long I've known you Mm -hmm. and just our relationship over the years. And even you and I were talking a little bit uh, before we got on air of, gosh, when did we meet? (laughs) What year was that? (laughs) What year was this? But I was saying your daughter, Sarah Beth, was uh, probably in high school somewhere, Mm -hmm. a teenager. Your son was... I don't know, maybe six or, you know, we were, we were forging ground together. We were in a writing group together, which is one of the ways we initially met. Mm -hmm. You hired me on your staff of your nonprofit and we just got to do so much life together. So thankful for that journey. But I I was thinking about you and um, just one of the things that I admire about you as I was coming here today is that one thing, even though we've done a lot of life together over these last, whatever we decided, 10 (laughs) 10 years, um, one thing that hasn't changed about you is your passion and your calling and your conviction for this conversation that surrounds um, unplanned pregnancy and abortion and your passion for creating a new way, Mm. a third way, a different kind of conversation. And I confess, as I was driving here, not only was I thinking how much I admire and, and respect you and how grateful I am for our relationship, but I was thinking, why did I <laughs> invite you here <laughs> to have a conversation to right. kick off a new season on unplanned pregnancy and abortion of all things? Because uh, we all know, you know, I know, the people listening know, 
such a divisive issue, so polarizing. There are so many triggers surrounding this issue. And and as you and I talked, we even acknowledge there are people listening who fall on vastly different sides. Mm -hmm. Um, If we're going to talk about sides, but by the end of this conversation, they're going to know not to talk about sides, (laughs) which is the beautiful thing. Uh, So we want to acknowledge that, but also just say, we need help. Mm -hmm. And it's why I don't want to shy away from this conversation. I actually want to dig into it. Yeah. And so um, what do you think about just diving into the deep end? Well, I think it's great. And while you're confessing things, I want to (laughs) also confess something. So, you know, I started to your point, um, had no experience in the pro-life, pro-choice issue until about 2006. Got thrown into the deep end at a pregnancy organization in Chicago, which is where you ended up uh, working on our team. And God's taken me through such a journey that I really felt like I had Not that I would say I had everything figured out, but we had our language figured out and we knew what people were experiencing and we were going and doing this work. And when Roe versus Wade was overturned in the summer, first of all, I was surprised. I I didn't think that would ever happen. And people kept saying, how does this impact your work? And I was like, I mean, it doesn't because we've been saying this all along as we'll talk about and wow, maybe now people will be even more wanting to talk about this. And my confession is something is happening mm. <laughs> since Roe versus Wade was overturned that I have to tell you, I don't fully understand. So we have lots of research on how Christians process this, but it was all pre June of this last year. So I would say I am even in flux of wanting to open up conversations and hear from the Lord. What is he actually doing? Um, What is the difference of what people are experiencing now as opposed to before this change? And I love what you're saying to people, the invitation, that's the invitation is I don't have all the answers. You don't have all the answers. People listening in are, they don't have all the answers. God God knows where mm-hmm. we're at. And so I love you're laying the foundation for, we're just going to have this conversation yeah. <laughs> and invite him to take us deeper. Yeah, so. because inevitably we'll say something wrong, you know, and er, quote, right, unquote, yeah, quote right. unquote wrong <laughs> right, or right. something that, that someone just, it triggers them in a certain way. Yeah. And, and that's why I, I love that because we humble ourselves yep. and say, we don't have the answers. We're dependent. We, what we're after is God's heart. We're after his kingdom. We're after how his church can respond. And so let's go after that, knowing that we might not get it all right along the way. But you get it more right than I do. (laughs) I'm teeing you up there. You see that? So I have a question. uh, And maybe you don't fully have an answer to this, but something you just said was was really intriguing about you've noticed a change. Mm -hmm. You've noticed a shift. Mm -hmm. What what do you think's happening then? Can you articulate or are you still just like really processing what that is? I'm still trying to process what it is. I think that what has been going on since I started in this so over 15 years is that there's been a disconnect in a lot of Christians between the theology uh, that we know and have experienced of Jesus, how he interacts with us through grace, how he interacts in the gospels, radical grace, really, his love. There's a disconnect between that, that we've known in our own lives, and that's how we've grown, and then how we either see Christians engaging in the abortion issue or find ourselves engaging, mm-hmm. right? That's, that is the dissonance of I can't quite line up what I know to be true about Jesus with how we framed this issue, mm-hmm. which has always been a tension. Would you yeah. agree that was a tension when you worked with me. Absolutely. But something's changed now where um, 
that's ramped up to a whole new level. And that's what I don't fully understand. So it's not that I can't speak to it, but I don't feel like I have my head around how deeply people are wrestling, how how much dissonance this is creating between the God they know yeah. and what they're seeing out there portrayed as Christian, a Christian response. And I wonder if that's happening or compounded in light of all the other issues that would fall into this category right. where it's just like we're just in general trying to make sense of the world anew, whether it right. is we're talking about um, gun laws or we're talking right. about the LGBT community yeah. or we're talking about things coming out of COVID and, right. and the polarization mm-hmm. we're feeling in so many ways in our country and Christians, maybe in a good way, you know, we talk about the negative, but maybe there is something rising up in all of yeah. us to say, we need to do a better job yep. reflecting and, and considering the God of the Bible, the Jesus of the gospels and how we are expressing and articulating our faith today. Maybe right. that's it. Maybe that's a piece of it. Yeah, and I love what you're saying. I think it's just gotten heated up, heightened. Mm -hmm. And I think what happens to us sometimes when that happens is we think, oh my, we back away from that, right? Like, oh my gosh, this is too much. Uh, Which is why I'm glad you've opened up the conversation saying for the, if, if we're if for the listeners out there and for me and you, if we're wrestling more than ever with this, then this is a good time and this is a safe place to have the conversation as opposed to, I think, what's natural for me and a lot of us, which is I can't even. Right. <laughs> right. Like I I can't even. Right. I'm shutting down. I'm being silent. Right. Because then we get nowhere. Yes. Right. It's 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 challenging, but it's probably better to wade into be willing in safe places. Yes. I love that yes. you just said that in a safe way find some of those safe places where we can step our toes, step our ankles. Maybe some of us are swimming deep <laughs> right. into the waters yep. to say, we really want, need to wrestle with this and right. talk about things in a different way, or we're never going to get beyond right. this if we keep all just being afraid right. to trigger or to upset someone or to be misunderstood by the words that we say. Right. right. I'm saying that to myself as I'm looking yeah, at you. No, I, I need that reminder right now. Exactly. No, I love that. And I think, you know, this is how God wakes us up to injustice and different things. It's, it's painful, but you're right. I take the view of he's been working all along. He is doing a new thing. We'll talk today. I'm not sure exactly what the new thing is, yeah. but I am confident that mm-hmm. he's in it and he's He's taking these stirrings and he's going to bring something beautiful out of it eventually, but it's probably going to be really messy getting there. That's right. Well, we can trust God in that, right? Beauty from ashes. Right. I learned that from right. you too. <laughs> so let's let's talk a little bit about, you know, we went right with yep. Roe v. Wade, just said yep. that right off, uh, off the bat. Um, I think one of the realities that... Um, that has been present in this issue throughout the history of it, but that has come up more and more, uh, more prevalent, more, um, it's more obvious, I guess, is since the Roe v. Wade decision is this, this um, uh, way in us, the instinct in us, that's the word I'm looking mm-hmm. for, to overgeneralize, mm-hmm. overgeneralize, to stereotype mm-hmm. the other side. And so I'm overgeneralizing right now, but on one side of this issue, since the decision has come down, you have the pro-life camp mm-hmm. who uh, who are celebrating what the overturning of Roe v. Wade means for the rights of the unborn child. Some I listened to an interview with a woman who has been fighting this battle for 
decades to see um, this decision overturned as a win Mm -hmm. um, for the rights of children who the unborn and so there is that side of it who is celebrating this Mm -hmm. decision and then I've heard conversations and voices on the other side who might find themselves more on a pro-choice leaning or Mm pro-choice side who are just frustrated Mm -hmm. and they're angry and they're asking what does this mean for individual liberty Mm -hmm. what does it mean for other medical decisions women's rights over their body and um uh, a very interesting and, and important conversation about how this decision will disproportionately injure or affect women of color, mm-hmm. uh, women of lower socioeconomic status who don't have access to resources. And so it's all of these mm-hmm. things, but depending on what side um, people may find their convictions, I think we may or may not be able to see the other perspective. Mm-hmm. We think they have no perspective. It's just all right. all one or all the other. And and when we wade into this water, it's easy to feel like it's hopeless. It's impossible that there might be a healthy way to have these conversations where we can actually see the other person's perspective. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm just going to th- kick that to you. <laughs> Is there actually a middle ground? Is there actually a third way to have a conversation about unplanned pregnancy and abortion in this country? I mean, yes, that's what I've committed the last however many years to is I really believe there is. Um, that's not to say it's easy. And so I'll go back to something that one of the just one of the Supreme Court justices in the initial hearing of Dobbs versus Jackson back in December of 2021 said this. <laughs> uh, they said the problem with the abortion issue is, is that there are two interests representative represented and you can't meet both. You have to pick and one interest has to prevail over the other. That justice just laid down the fundamental flaw with the law, with the entire political debate is that it's actually set up to be one person versus another person, one person over the other. So that now is a binary, that's a no-win conversation because whatever side you land on, you are in essence saying, I value one person over the other. That's the only way to talk about this. That's the way the law has been interpreted. What you're saying, why some are celebrating and some are mourning is because one person um, you know, in this equation has won and one person is in this equation will lose. Um, and the roles were switched when Roe v. Wade was still the law of the land. So when we see something like that, that is this diametrically opposed ideas in a no-win situation, the journey for me has been to look at what, how did Jesus handle that? Mm. How did he handle when he was brought these two conflicting ideas? And actually, in some instances in the scripture, it says the Pharisees were intentionally trying to trap him. Like they'd put thought into this. They knew what was going to set one camp, make them angry, stereotype the other. And what we see Jesus doing is giving, and this is where the idea for a third option comes, he gives a third answer. He gives a third kingdom answer to that dilemma. So one story we use a lot in our programs uh, with Christians is the experience in John 8 where it says the the Pharisees brought in a woman they had caught in the act of adultery, which right there you're like, How'd they catch her? Like, that was such a setup. And it, it, they said it was done to trap Jesus. But they say, should, should, we, should we stone this woman or not? Okay. Now, Jesus, and they say, in the law, Moses said we should stone. What do you say? So he's going to be alienated by one camp or the other, however he answers this. 
and he doesn't answer. He actually beautifully doesn't do anything. He writes in the dirt, which is always such a interesting part of the story. He defuses everything. And then he comes back with this third answer, right? If you haven't sinned, go ahead and throw the first stone. And and you watch how God is interacting with the Pharisees as one by one, the older ones first, they drop their stones. Then he has this amazing encounter with the woman. Like everyone has this transformational experience from what was a no win trapping mm. situation. And it happens again in John nine where they bring a man born blind who sinned this man or his parents Mm -hmm. jesus has a third answer they do it with the taxes which that was really going to polarize people because the um the israelites didn't want to be occupied by rome so that was a very political question Mm -hmm. (laughs) should we pay taxes to caesar or not was going to really inflame people politically and what does he answer brilliantly right a third answer and then the last one i I think of is in john 4 the samaritan woman says i know the jews say we have to worship in jerusalem my people say this mountain jesus says neither Mm -hmm. spirit and truth so there's this common theme where the kingdom when the kingdom breaks in what he's saying to us is your thoughts are too small Mm-hmm. Your thoughts are too limited. Let me come with my kingdom perspective and broaden things for you. And that's what I think is the third option in the abortion issue is that the politics say you have to choose one over the other. And Jesus says, no, mm-hmm. not going to do that. I value the woman and child equally. That's the radical kingdom answer I'm bringing into this. And it's going to live outside of politics because the political binds us to this binary, to this narrative. So that's why my opinion is, and why you said, I just get rid of those labels, we get rid of that, and let's focus on a third kingdom answer, which is God values them both. How could we be about that? Well, and I love the way you just said that, and that's at the heart of just your message is God values both, right? right. God is a, God cares equally about both a woman and a child facing an unplanned pregnancy in this situation. Yep. And so when we are able to put that at the top and remove these labels, yes. um, pro-life and pro-choice are not helpful. Those no. were created by political parties. Right. right. Yeah, exactly. And again, the political parties were rallied around, should it be legal or not? You know, Whose rights are we going to uh, triumph more? And that, like I said, makes the language mm. stereotype laden right like you you someone said if someone was if someone says i'm pro-life what do people think about them they're anti-woman right they they don't care they're callous to what and i know many pro-life people who say i deeply care about the woman i'm not saying that i'm saying when we assign with that camp this is a stereotype people have Mm -hmm. and what's the stereotype people have when people say they're pro-choice you don't care about mm -hmm. about the child. And I know many pro-choice people who actually, you know, feel like the child, no one's talking about the child enough, they're going to suffer. That's why they're Mm pro-choice. And they individually think that, but no one can hear. Mm -hmm. So if you say I'm pro-life, but I care for the woman, or I'm pro-choice, but I care for the child, people can't hear after we've just said what our political affiliation is. It shuts down conversation. There's all these stereotypes. And that's why for Christians, I'm wanting to bring a unifying theology that we can agree on and work together for the woman and the child. And the only way I know how to do that is for us to set down those political labels when we come together. Obviously, we vote. We take that very seriously. But when we come together, we're talking about the kingdom. Mm. And so what is that? Once we set those labels aside, then 
what's the word in the gap? Then what, if we, if that's the only way we've learned how to talk about this issue, yeah. what's the alternative then? What is the language? What is the words? What is the conversation we need to be having? Yeah. So, um, and that's been quite a journey, as you know, from our time working together in Chicago is that I found this out the hard way by going out into the community and saying, hey, we're a Christian organization helping women facing unintended pregnancy, right? And and just getting a wave of stereotypes. So it is for all of us just breaking down. If the words say that I'm putting one person over the other, I choose new words where I talk about women and children. And I talk equally about the experience. And I actually talk about the experience of the unintended pregnancy and try to understand why for many women, abortion feels like the only option. Like what is actually happening systemically in society? What are the cultural messages that we're sending? And what is happening individually for women? You talked about this disproportionately affecting women, uh, lower income brackets. There's, there's every woman who faces an unintended pregnancy feels like their life as they know it will be over. We know this from research. And the circumstances around that are different and they look different based on, you know, where they are economically. But when I hear people characterize it just as a selfish, they'll say, oh, they're just being selfish. That right there, that's a stereotype that actually breaks everything down because we need to get in and say, no, no, no. When we actually understand what's going on for women, we have to be honest and say, if I were walking in her shoes, I would think about doing the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. And we haven't done that enough as believers. I personally don't think we, we've been so focused on should it be legal or not that we haven't stopped mm -hmm. like Jesus did in John 8 mm -hmm. <laughs> to, to diffuse the noise and then turn to the woman and say, I see you, yeah. what's happening for you? That's right. And as you've journeyed through this, as you've had conversations, if you've, if you, as you've learned and done your own research, what are you finding are those reasons? What are the reasons that women are finding themselves in this place that would be helpful for us to understand? Yeah. So um, we've done four bodies of research over 10 years, and it's shockingly consistent. And that is an unintended pregnancy initiates intense feelings of panic, isolation and shame. And it actually doesn't um, doesn't change with whatever decision the woman makes. So whatever decision she's going to make, those initial feelings about the unintended pregnancy are pretty close to universal. And again, like I said, the reasons might be different, whether she's in college or from a Christian home or she's trying to get out of a neighborhood where that's been the stereotype. The, the reasons might be different or she's going to be discriminated at her law firm. But the feelings are the same. The panic, isolation, and the shame is so deep as to be an identity changer. I'm no longer the person I thought I was. Um, and so when any of us are faced like with, some, with intense feelings like that, we go into survival mode. We're looking for a way to not have to walk through that. Any of us would do that. And that's the place of empathy and really understanding that, that I have seen change Christians I can I watch Christians have these aha moments because we can all put ourselves in a situation in our own life mm. where we felt that way or if something had been exposed for everyone to see we would have felt that way. And that's what I mean about uniting our theology of when we encounter Jesus it's his tender grace and mercy that changes all of us again like the story in John 8 and if we can put that into the abortion conversation, 
suddenly it's changed everything because suddenly now we're in the position of listening and it's not so much what are you going to do should it be legal or not I view you as part of a generalized group it's I see you as a person and how what do you need how could I support you and and when we take that posture, how do you see the outcome change, or what do you what do you see that do to maybe a woman who finds herself in that situation, or even in talking to other people? Uh, we'll get to uh, you know your work that you do with churches and yeah. and trying to educate people. But what do you see that that response does? Yeah, so it's so interesting. I, I used to for ten years when you and I worked together, I worked for a pregnancy organization, and we directly worked with pregnant women and. I can talk about that later, but when we went to this type of model, it completely shifted the conversation our staff were having with women. Um, women felt safe. They would come back. They would invite their friends. They just, they would say, I was expecting judgment, which is so sad. How did she even walk in the door? But I was expecting judgment, and I was shocked. They would say, I was just shocked to be treated this way. And then that that leads the way to hope and being able to surround her with resources. There's so many amazing outcomes from that. And I would say that was what drove me to say, wow, what if the whole church could could be responding this way, we could see this outcome. And I just want to say that that's a slow burn. I realize now after six years of switching to focus on equipping Christians with this response, that's a very slow burn that we're going to be safe enough that pregnant women are going to come to us because statistics show it just doesn't happen. The the statistic is like 7% of people um, talk to someone at a church before they make an abortion decision. It just doesn't happen because of the fear of judgment. But I will tell you what is happening right now. As this, we have a whole class that people walk through, and as they walk through it in the church, the first people to say something are those people in the church who've had an abortion. And it usually, and I'm always surprised at how much it happens equally with women and men. And a lot of times it's actually in that class that they're in where they're going through this, they will voluntarily say, this was me. And I've never told anybody, or I've never told anybody at this church. That to me is that picture in John 8, when the radical grace of Jesus is released, we all feel safe. And I just, I don't know why I keep getting shocked, but every time I hear (laughs) reports from people who are doing this, I think, God, what are you doing? And what I think he's doing is he's starting with ourselves first. We have to start with ourselves first and realize we've been given all this rhetoric about whether it should be legal or not and all this polarization. And we have people in our own congregations deeply impacted by this and never able to tell anyone because we haven't released grace into the conversation. Amen. Amen. And statistically, we know there are a lot of women and men in the church who have found themselves in this situation. And it doesn't, um, abortion doesn't discriminate between people who are making those choices between whether you're a believer or not. Right. Because, and we know this, you know, we all believe certain things to be true. And we know that primarily when we make decisions, it flows from our emotions. This is why Jesus always talked about changing the heart. He knew about changing the very core way we experience life. He knew we can't just give ourselves a bunch of rules to live by. And so even if someone believes abortion isn't God's best, when that when that emotional crisis happens, and that's what we have to understand, we all would be like, I just have to get out of this, right? And that, that panic happens. So the national statistic is one in four women will have an abortion before age 45. 
And it really isn't that different based on religious affiliation. And they've broken it down by Protestant, Catholic, evangelical. It's statistically insignificant, the difference. We've done our own surveys of churches, and the consistently it comes back about 33% of the congregation has been impacted by unintended pregnancy or abortion. So when you say a lot, it's one in three. Then you add to that those of us who say, my sister or my mom or, you know, I experienced this. It is much more prevalent than we realize, but it is silent. Mm. And to our point, if we keep having this polarizing conversation, it's just going to remain silent. That's right. And I, I quote this all the time. I learned this in my days when we worked together uh, from Brene Brown. I say it all the time, but we know yeah. that, um, you know, shame requires three things to survive and it's secrecy, silence and judgment. Yeah. And that just surrounds, we can apply that to a lot of things, but yeah. especially in this case, and you just think about the, the, the weight that people are carrying, who are carrying this alone, who haven't had a community to come around and, and experience um, healing and forgiveness and share their story. Um, I mean, that in and of itself is a, is a heartbreaking thing. Yeah. Yep. And then Brene goes on to say, but if you douse it with empathy, it can't survive. That's right. And I always just see, again, the gospel in that. Like, that's that's the whole way we're saved, right? Like, God says to us... <laughs> I've paid everything. All you have to do is come. And now I give you a new identity. You're my child. I mean, he calls us completely righteous before God, you know, totally clean. That is before we've ever done anything. And so that empathy, that new identity is actually then what allows us to change and be more like him because we believe, oh, I'm a son or a daughter of the king. You know, I'm going to, I can, and he loves me. I can change how I, how I engage. And so it's the same thing. Where I get passionate is the church who's experienced this radical grace from Jesus should be the most empathetic Mm. to anyone touched by this um, and able to say, come, be part of our community because, yeah, as long as we're keeping this silent, shame is going to reign. But if we can bring it out and have empathy, that's when God can start doing miracles. Okay, Angie. But if we all of a sudden are dousing people with empathy and grace... (laughs) Who's going to tell them they sinned? (laughs) Who's going to tell them that what they did was wrong? Yes. Okay. Well, I'm glad that you have great (laughs) pastors at your church who can (laughs) dissect this for every issue. Let me... Go, go ahead. Well, say I would just say, else? I say that tongue in cheek, but and I, I shouldn't say that. Here's, I'm not making light no, I know. of, and we're talking a lot about empathy and grace and we're not, I'm not making light. And I know neither are you of, um, the tragedy, the, the, the sadness, the grief that happens over lost light, the loss of life. And so I'm not trying to make light of that, but that is the number one thing that I think you've probably heard. And I've heard that people are afraid of, but if we have this response, isn't the number of abortions just going to increase or isn't the problem just going to get worse or aren't people just going to think they have permission then Right. all of those things, they're going to think it's okay. Right. That's what I'm trying to get I know. at. And I, I, no, know I know you know that, but I that's know. for our listening audience. Yeah, no, that's good. That's good. And even when you talk about the tragedy of loss of life on the one side, let's even this out, the tragedy of what a woman is actually experiencing and the lack of structure and support for her and this ostracizing from the church. Yes. It's both. It's both. It's, it's both. always both. Yeah, it's it always, always both. has to be both. Exactly. Well, there's a couple things about this. And... <laughs> 
It goes to understanding that what is happening with abortion is not just one woman who wakes up one morning to make this one decision. That is not all the injustice, you know, that is happening here. It's happening systemically across our culture, all the way from starting how women are objectified and abused when they're young. And we have this breakdown in communication, right, between men and women. And the church has an issue with talking about people being involved sexually before marriage. Let's talk about that. Like, that's an issue. And then when something happens and a woman does become pregnant, here's the thing. Who, who was there? It's kind of like the story in John 8. Who was there when this pregnancy happened? Two people, Mm. exactly the same as in John 8. What did the Pharisees do in John 8? They brought her by herself. The law of Moses said to stone both of them. So right away, they've proven they don't care about the law. And I think this is something we have to think about. Mm. They didn't actually care about the law. They cared about trapping Jesus, and they just used her to do that. And I am fearful that that is what we have done Mm. in this issue. Because if we actually are going to take what God says is best for us, we know that two people were involved in this pregnancy. And yet who bears all the responsibility, all the weight, the conversation is all about the woman. So right there, you've just made an uneven um, conversation. If you're just going to talk about it with her, then you expand that out. Well, how many people are having sex outside of marriage who don't get pregnant? Okay, that's now a lot more people in the church. Then you expand it out. If Jesus says that Lust is the same as adultery. Hatred is the same as murder. If he's talking about sins of the heart, now we're talking about everyone is Mm. struggling. So that's the difference here. It's not saying sin doesn't hurt us. We know that God loves us and there are certain parameters he has for us to live. What we've done wrong is what the Pharisees did wrong. And we've said, oh, this this mistake is what we're going to bring out. But I'm not going to talk about mine. And that's why Jesus's third answer is so brilliant because he brings it back to, yeah, if you have no issue in your life, throw the first stone. So the church is not a group of people that just say, oh, keep hurting yourself, keep hurting others. No, but we do say we all struggle. Yes. We all are in this together and grace levels the playing field. That's what we're talking about here. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think when we can do that in the church, the church becomes the place that I think Jesus, right? That's the kingdom. That's the kingdom that Jesus came to bring. No one is ever changed by law. So that's where I feel like Brene Brown, the social science that she has uncovered to me is like, oh, God's He's brilliant because he knew this about us. None of us are ever changed by law. The scripture is full of that, right? Paul talks about that all the time. None of us are changed by judgment or you did this wrong. We're changed by an encounter with a God who loves us, Mm -hmm. welcomes us into his family, into this community. That's when any of us are changed. And so that's all we're saying is let's be that in this issue. Yeah. And when, you know, going back to how we started the conversation, talking about Roe v. Wade, like that's a law. That's a yeah. man made law. Right. And changing the law one way or the other does not change people's hearts. We've seen that time and time again throughout the history of the world. Right. And it has changed nothing about the reality for women when they're faced with a pregnancy. So, Except for some um, bipartisan legislation that was passed maybe 10 years ago, which I really applauded, which had money for health care and all that in it. Except for that, by and large, neither political side has been 
passing laws that would actually change the experience of the unintended pregnancy. Mm -hmm. So now you've got abortion outlawed, but the same thing's happening for women, the same job discrimination, the same, you know, not able to finish school. Nothing has been done about that. Mm -hmm. So now we haven't change anything about why a woman feels like abortion is her only choice. We've just said, oh, you can't have it in these states. So we, it doesn't actually address what's really going on. And that's something that I believe the church could address in an ideal world. Mm, so good. I love seeing your just passion come alive. <laughs> I love watch. I love watching you in your sweet spot. Uh, Sky Jathani has been a fan of Pro Grace. And for those of you who may not know, uh, Sky's local here. Uh, he uh, is... Um, the co-host of the Holy uh, Post podcast, but uh, he said this about pro-grace. I love this quote. He says, public rhetoric would lead us to believe that one must support either a woman's health or the life of the mm-hmm. child, exactly what you've been saying. Christians, more than anyone, should re- reject the artificial ethics of the either mm-hmm. or. Amen to that. Yep. Jesus calls us to a kingdom of love and abundance where flourishing cannot be separated. My flourishing cannot be separated from my neighbor's mm-hmm. flourishing. The higher Christian ethic is where ProGrace, your organization, Angie, is leading the church as it engages the reality of abortion. And so let's talk specifically about some of the ways ProGrace is engaging the church. Mm-hmm. Thanks. That's a great question. And yeah, I've really appreciated conversations with Sky. I learned so much from him. So basically, you know, this way of thinking that I and my co-founder and our team had, and Sui and you were part of that, it came as a result of a journey, right? God took us on a journey. The first piece of it was having a new way to think, which is what this is. What we've been talking about today is having a new way to think, that I don't have to think in the polarized, I can think kingdom perspective and, and looking at that theology. Um, and then after that becomes a new way to talk. Like you said, like, has anyone noticed I don't say I'm pro-life or pro-choice? Mm-hmm. I don't use certain trigger words on either side that I won't even say because they're trigger words. Like I learned that the hard way by going into the community and realizing I just shut that person down. Now they've just stereotyped me as an unfeeling Christian because I use that word. So mm-hmm. I'm going to stop using that and develop new language. Then after that, we learned a new way to engage um, the community, also the women we served, and eventually the church. So we have developed um, courses. We have an ebook. We have an online course that literally walk through that same exact journey. And it's just like you and I have been talking about. We create in that a safe space where everybody lays down their political ideology. That's one of the first things I talk about in the small group study we do. So if you're doing it with a small group, you don't ever have to say how you vote. It's this safe place where everybody walks through. Let's look at how Jesus interacted with people. Let's have a new way of thinking. And then we walk through the the talking and then the new way to engage. So it's really, for me, a desire. I met God through that journey and he changed my paradigm. And that's what we've tried to create that experience for all Christians, for a place to come with a small group that you know and trust. People can even take it individually online or they can download our free ebook have that experience with God because that then starts to change our language and our outlook. And as individual Christians change, I believe then the church will change and Mm -hmm. become a safe place. 
Yeah, yeah. And so when you go and you you do the workshops and you're talking to people, and you said earlier, it's kind of a slow burn. Uh, well, for the church's reputation to change, yeah. Yeah. It's a yeah. slow burn. What, is that hard? Is that, is, I know. Is that a big, is that a big challenge? I don't, I don't understand. But you get a tipping point. So I've been yeah. doing this research on tipping points, and they started to come out. University of Pennsylvania just released a study. If 25% of a group can change, that whole group will change. So, you know, I've been saying, I want to see the church change. And sometimes I do get discouraged, like, oh my gosh, how? That stat actually helped. Like, so if, if think about this, those of us who are thinking about our own church, if 25% of the people at our church can have a new way to think, talk, and start to engage about this, actually the whole group can change. That then makes it sound much more doable. And to your point, Sue Ann, maybe that's what God wants to do in this season and why I'm feeling increased tension because he's looking for the 25% who say, we'll start the journey. Mm. We'll start this for our church. And again, not put him on a time span. I think when people start this journey, they're like, and so when are the pregnant people going to come to us? Mm. And I'm like, I don't know. We have to change first. <laughs> like I've seen enough to know that they will. If someone's experiencing panic, isolation, and shame, and there's a community of people who are just grace all the time, I know that that connection will happen. We saw it happen when I worked for the pregnancy organization, but I'm in this for the long haul, and I want to see the deep change in the church first. And so that's what I'm trying to say. Christians, we can just relax and look at ourselves first. Mm-hmm. I think so quickly we want to jump to supporting the people impacted, but we're the people impacted right now, right? We're the ones feeling tension, that we feel icky, that we don't know what's going on, why Christians aren't responding like Jesus would. Like, let's take the time to let ourselves go on that journey and say, God, resolve some of this tension for me. Why do I feel like I can't talk to my neighbor and even tell them I'm a Christian in this issue because they're going to stereotype me? Mm-hmm. You know, we need this time for transformation and come together to do it. And so that, I think, is a switch for people as well, that I'm not talking about let's run out and start serving pregnant women. And I have heard a lot of people in the Christian camp start saying that. I still believe we've got a lot of internal work to do first. It does start with having empathy for what women are going through, but I'm not saying let's hang a sign outside. I'm saying let's be yeah. Let's be like, let's become like Jesus in John 8 and then watch how he opens doors to bless people in our community. Yeah. And I, I just have to say as a personal, someone who's journeyed alongside of you and it, it does, um, it is a journey, right? Yes. And I, I've i even found myself saying a couple of things throughout this conversation <laughs> that I'm like, oh, that was a trigger word. Oh, that was the wrong thing to say. Um, and I've been on this journey right. for a while. I'm constantly looking at um, different ways that I can talk about things. Yes. And so I've, I've realized during this conversation, conversation. So I'll ask you for your grace and people for their grace. Like, yes. oh, why did I say that? Because immediately, again, it gives people that opportunity to think, oh, you are one of those. Right. 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 And that's what we're trying to avoid. We don't want to demonize. We don't yes. want we don't want to just throw everyone in a camp and then stereotype and categorize them in that way. And so yep. I'm just learning in my own journey, like, I need grace, yeah. right? And we need grace for each other is where is where transformation is is a slow process. Right. It takes a long time and it's like two steps forward, one step back oftentimes. Right. Yeah. And what you've just said is why in the small group curriculum we've designed, I mean, I do talk for about five minutes, but then it's pause and discuss it as a group. And the idea is that as we say something, Sue Ann, that the person in our group trusts us enough to say, wait a second. 
that didn't feel right when you said that. Now, we've taken off the political labels. We trust each other as believers in Christ, so we can actually have this conversation. That's the only way we can change. The only way I changed was when people in the community said, when you say that, you sound anti-woman, mm. right? Or when people who were close to our ministry said, when you say that, you sound like you don't care about the child. Like I, People had to be honest with me for me to learn that, and that's the idea of what we've created is that space for people who do see the different sides of this, because this is a complex issue, to come together in a group and be safe enough to say, that makes me feel a certain mm-hmm. way. That's the, that, And you only had this experience because you were having this conversation with me. That's right. And that's what happens. That's why we have to make the time to have the conversation with each other. That's right. And you're a person that I know I can trust because right. you've had that conversation with other people. You've opened yourself right. up to both both sides, people who think differently in you, and you've asked the hard questions and you've listened and you've invited the Holy Spirit into those places to change you. Right. And so, you know, if all of us could do a little more of that like I'm on this journey because I've trusted you and I've seen your heart for the Lord I've seen your heart for women I've seen your heart for children I've seen the whole picture in you and I've thought wow okay there there this is transforming and we need to hold on to it because not only is it transforming in this issue that's been a trickle-down effect in my life in Hmm. all the issues everything. I mean, we're looking at some of the big things we already named that are happening in our society today that are polarizing, but it, it's changed how I've parented my children. Mm. It's changed how I've responded to my husband. It's changed how I respond to my coworkers here in this place when something happens. And I think, oh, I could either respond because I'm, I'm thinking this thing because they did this. And now I've, I've created this narrative around them. Or I'm going to step back and I'm going to choose grace. Yep. And I'm going to realize that, you know what, um, everyone has a story and a journey. And if I just ask a few more questions, maybe I can understand that. And in the process, Jesus will change me. Yeah. Well, and that's why I trust you to have this conversation, because I know you listen to God, you engage with people. I know that you care equally for the woman and child. And so, and I guess this is what I'm asking us to extend to each other mm-hmm. as believers is what you and I just extended to each other. Let's believe that we, we do want what's, with the exception of maybe some, which God help us, but most Christians really do care about both. And if we can come with that mindset and have the conversation like you and I have had, you're right. It allows for so much transformation. And I just want to say that I'm still on this journey. Like I'm parenting a 15-year-old boy right now. <laughs> and I use all this stuff. And I'll, I'll leave a conversation. I'll be like, why did I preach at him? Why did I preach? He can't hear that. I should have been curious and asked him about his experience. Like we need this in every issue, like you said, but it is the simple answer to the abortion issue is just stop telling people what we think they should do and listen to their experience and listen to and watch. And the fact is we have the best mentor, Mm -hmm. Jesus. You know, I keep going. He asks questions. He drew people into relationship. We just keep going back to that, and we can do this. We can have this conversation. Amen. That's right, right. We can do that, and God can do God can do more than we can ask or imagine. Yes. So yes, um, it will be up to Him. <laughs> it will be up to Him to do the rest. But yes. we can start to have the conversation and say we want to be more like Jesus in this issue. Amen. Amen. I appreciate you so much. I appreciate oh, you. <laughs> I love that. this. is so helpful. I just I'm, I'm so energized by this conversation. So we're about out of time. Yes. I just I have one more question for you that yes. I didn't tell you I was going to ask oh, you. So, okay. Although we've covered a lot of things yeah. I didn't say that we were going to cover. Um, you know, this, the podcast is called Deeper Still, and yeah. we're constantly asking people to just when God, just when you think you're okay, just when you think you've done just, you know, you're doing the work, 
Jesus pushes us. This conversation pushes us. God pushes us. Go a little deeper still. Like I'm already in deep. And God says, oh, I want you to go a little deeper still. And so you, Angie Wesley, in your own life as just uh, look at all the facets and the work that you're doing as you lead, as you um, are just a follower, beloved daughter of the King, where in your life today might God be calling you, asking you, pushing you to be like, oh, what's that thing he wants me to just go a little deeper still? Are you serious? You want all of it? Um, it could just be one thing. I, so I'm, I'm 53 years old. And for the past year and a half, I've been Googling, what is a midlife crisis? <laughs> so uh, they now call it midlife transition, which I like a lot oh, better. Nice. Mm-hmm. nice. That's good. And I'm in it. And um, so, yeah, so I've been in it with my family, with, you know, you alluded to my kids are 10 years apart, but they both decided they didn't like me at the exact same time. <laughs> That was really hard during COVID. We moved during COVID, which we thought was best. And my husband and I bought this house that's about killed us. And we're going deeper still in our marriage. Like stuff's actually being revealed through what's happening with this house that we've been living with for two and a half decades. But it was slowly killing, you know, we're not going to kill our marriage, but greatly hurting it. So that stuff has risen to the top. So we're dealing with that. But even... What you said, you've helped me today because I've been having an existential crisis. I've uh, been laughing with my colleague the past week or so, just about this thing I was telling you that I can't name that is changing in the Christian response to abortion. And I'm like, I'm not sure I like it. And I don't know what to do. And I've been doing this thing for so long. And we've created this, you know, we just launched our small group version three weeks before Roe versus Wade was mm-hmm. overturned. Like, it's like, we thought we were done. I think that's an interesting, we thought we were done. We've created it. And now I'm out there going, oh my gosh, now everything's just changed and, and I'm not even sure. And so on the way here, I was listening to um, a worship song. I was like, Siri, shuffle, you know, this worship group I like. And um, it's a song by Brian and Katie Torwalt called, is it called Remember? But the line is, oh, my soul, remember who you're talking to. Mm -hmm. And I literally played it three times on my way here to see you. Like, you are still the God who moves. You are still a God. And I think I just need to, obviously, he's saying I need to go deeper still because I need to understand it in these areas that I thought were okay. You know what I mean? That's, I think, the hard thing is to be at a certain age and be like, all right, I got this figured out. (laughs) These things are all going well. And then... Yeah, because he often calls me to go deeper still by things not going the way I want, right? So after I throw my little protest or try to figure out what can I do to fix this, then I tend to be open to, oh, okay, I'm going to go deeper still. I'm going to learn how big you are, how much grace there is for me. I'm learning that I tend to over-function in these relationships in my work, and so it's often a, a... laying down of something as opposed to doing more he asks me to do less Mm -hmm. which is crazy Mm -hmm. but that's the deeper still right because that means he's bigger he increases and I actually get the peace and rest of not trying to fix every stinking thing around me yeah amen what a good what a good word (laughs) I don't know if it's a good (laughs) word it's where I'm at (laughs) well it's like it's it reminds us again that we're all on the journey together we all need the grace of God whether it's working in the issues that we've been talking about today or it's working with our spouse in the house we moved into or whatever it is we all need the grace and the mercy and the love of God and the way Jesus showed it in John chapter 8 as you said to the woman it's Mm -hmm. just a beautiful picture so thank you Angie 
for being here today. Thanks for your candor, your honesty, your good work. Thanks for having um, me. I loved every minute of it. I Thanks did so too. much for being here. Thanks. Well, friends, uh, I hope you enjoyed that conversation. I don't know if enjoyed is the right word. Hopefully there's people, parts of it that you enjoyed and parts of it that just made you stop and think and ponder and ask God um, how he might be calling you to think differently, to um, interact with other people differently, to extend grace in some new ways, both in this conversation around unplanned pregnancy and abortion and uh, just in all the different ways that he is at work in our lives. So thanks for listening today. If you want to know more about the work that ProGrace is doing and access some of the resources that Angie mentioned today, I would highly, highly encourage you to just hop on over to ProGrace.org. Their website is awesome. You're going to learn a lot. You're going to find that free ebook that Angie uh, talked about. You're going to see some podcasts on there and some other resources that can help um, advance this conversation for yourself as well as your church. So be sure to check that out. Here at Christ Church, uh, we are ramping up all kinds of ways you can get connected and plugged in in the life of the church in general this fall. So also be sure to visit us at Christchurch.us and find a way to get plugged in. Don't do this life alone. Have the conversations you need to have. Get some partners for the journey. And uh, we'll just all pray together that God's grace covers us. So uh, we'll be back with some new episodes of Deeper Still real soon. So until then, go in God's grace.